They say that originality is the art of concealing one's sources. But if you're writing a term paper for a university professor, you had better be astute and not original, because concealing your sources gets you into all kinds of trouble in the world of higher education. You could steal a horse and put it in the dean's office for him to find the next morning, and they would be more forgiving than if you stole someone's ideas and put it down in a paper. It, ironically, on an article written April 1st, 2006, uh, we get this. A committee at Ohio University in Athens has determined that 21 mechanical engineering graduates plagiarized in the thesis they wrote as part of the requirements for their master's degrees, school officials have said. The committee reviewed 46 of the research papers from the past 20 years and found that 21 of them contained copies from published materials or previous students' work. Now, the university gave these 21 students nine months to fix their theses and get, get them right, theses and get them right. But um, the, the dean of the engineering school said, uh, it's my view that if someone is plagiarized, there should be something in their transcript or at least in the thesis itself. This is an unforgivable act in the university. Uh, you know, university professors are known for their, their liberal spirits and their, their vast amounts of tolerance. Until it comes to plagiarism. And then, boy, it's like um, the most strident inquisitors you'd ever find. Uh, I was thinking about all the things that people have done in the past. I mean, you know, you could, you could create a four-headed monster in a laboratory or, a, or a, a bacteria that was resistant to all forms of, um, of antibiotics that could wipe out the entire population of the earth. And by evening on CNN, you'd have some professor defending that right. <laughs> But don't let people steal ideas. I, I even came across a, a biomedical ethicist. Perhaps you've heard of him. His name is Peter Singer. He teaches at Princeton University. He believes that the only thing that, um, that makes a person have any right to life is their ability to make choices. And so he actually says, and I quote from his book, killing a newborn baby is never the equivalent of killing a person. That is, someone who wants to go on living. Can you believe that? I mean, as utterly absurd an idea as that is. You know, that, that, that humans don't have a, a natural right to life. But, stealing someone's ideas? Now, that's absolutely inexcusable. Because they're my ideas. And I don't want anybody taking them. Now, uh, now obviously, the comparison between... Um, the ethics of Stephen, or Peter Singer and the, uh, the ethics of, of stealing ideas are, are kind of a, a gross comparison. But I think the idea is that, that taking credit for something that doesn't belong to you, that's a serious offense in our world. Unless it's a bad idea. You know, then, then you can let somebody else take credit for it, right? I mean, can you imagine like at a marketing company, who came up with the idea for the Pringle slogan? Oh, that was me. Good, you're fired. No, I didn't mean me. It was, it was Johnson over here. It was his, his idea, you know. You completely disavow yourself from all of it. It's not a good idea to take credit for anybody's work. And probably you've undoubtedly had it happen to you. Your boss, or maybe your boss's boss, sometime took credit for your work, said that something that you did was their idea, and it really got you frustrated. I even read a, 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 um, a letter to an advice column this week, like a Dear Abby online, and, and it was this fellow who was writing about this guy apparently comes to him, who's a word, this guy who's a woodworker, and, and he says, will you build a cabinet for my wife, a, a computer cabinet? I want to give it to her for Christmas. 
He says, sure. And the, the man agrees to $400 for this computer cabinet. He pays him and he builds a computer cabinet. And the man gives it to his wife for Christmas present. And then the woodworker was over at the friend's house a month or so after Christmas. The wife came up to this man and says, you have to see this cabinet my husband built for me. It's the most beautiful thing. And she takes him into the den and sure enough shows him the cabinet that he himself had built. And he was outraged. He even looked on the back of it and the husband had removed his name and put the husband's name on the back of the cabinet. And he says, what should I do? And the advice columnist was wise and said, bite your tongue. This guy's probably done this sort of thing in the past. Just, you know, don't hang out with this guy anymore. You know, don't be his friend. And that's probably good advice. But can you imagine the outrage? I mean, the only thing that would really seem to satisfy is if you said to that wife, Hey, look, your husband, he's a complete liar. I built that. Look, I'll show you the scratch right here in the back. Or whatever, you know, that, that you'd want so much to set the record straight. We shouldn't take credit for things that we don't do. We shouldn't take credit for someone else's ideas. Well, that's a simple idea or simple concept, isn't it? But, you know, I think that maybe we often do take credit for ideas and for or plans that perhaps we shouldn't. No, not in writing papers or building things, but perhaps in the direction of our lives. Consider for a minute the Old Testament lesson from Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet. Let me, let me uh, read it back to you again. Verse 4. Um, perhaps look in your bulletin with me. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, that is the prophet speaking, then Jeremiah speaks, Ah, Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a child, a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for you, I will, for, excuse me, do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. But I command you, whatever I command you, you shall speak to them. Do not be afraid, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you. Did you get that? He didn't say even before you were formed. The Lord said, Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you. I think this is the Lord's way of saying to Jeremiah, Hey, guess what? You are my idea. Your very existence is my idea. Everything about you is the way that I formed you. God is saying to the prophet, I knew you personally. Just like, well, just like a child knows his or her parent, or, or the way a parent knows their child. God says, I knew you in just that intimate a way. Do you know that God knows you? He knows every hair on your head. For some of us, it's easier counting than others, right? He knows every thought that you've ever thought. Yes, that one. He knows all of them. He knows everything about you, intimately and personally. But not only does God tell Jeremiah that he knows him, he also says something kind of unique to him. And I have consecrated you. The word in Hebrew is the same word for holy. In fact, the old King James Version translated like this, And I have sanctified you. I have set you apart. I have given you a special use. You know, we do this stuff all the time. Even in church, you know, when we, we get something new, we, um, we bring it to the front of the church and bless it and, and set it apart. Well, right here on this table, there's, 
There's a, a cup underneath that uh, little green covering there, isn't there? You know, you'll see it in a little bit, this shiny silver cup. You know that we could drink anything out of that cup. It is so designed so that you could pour any liquid in there. I could pour coffee or water or sweet tea. You could drink anything out of there, couldn't you? No, you couldn't. Because that cup is designed for one use. To place in there wine that is consecrated and becomes the very, the very blood of Christ to us. And so it can't be used for other things. It has one purpose. Jeremiah, God says, I have plans for you. I have plans. And I think this is where Jeremiah says, Oh, but Lord, um, exactly uh, what sort of plans do you mean? And now, it doesn't come out in English. It's only translated as a semicolon. But I'm sure it's there. You know, Lord, what do you mean you have plans for me? I want you to be a prophet to the nations. Here's your new job, Jeremiah. HR will describe the 401k to you later, but right now, here you go. This is your new job. And Jeremiah doesn't want this job. He doesn't want this job at all. In fact, he says, you know, I'm really not up to this, Lord. I'm just a child. You know, perhaps you should look for somebody else. Jebediah, you know, the Amish prophet down the street. He would be great. Perhaps you should, you should talk to him. God says, no, Jeremiah, you'll go everywhere that I send you. And you'll say whatever I command you. In fact, notice, God says, I will put my words in your mouth. And Jeremiah says, you know, I don't really think I want this job. Did you catch the job? You will pluck up and destroy. You will overthrow and break down. Who wants that job? Nobody wants that job. Nobody's lining up to take it. But it's in the mind of God. And it's in the mind of God for this particular person, Jeremiah. This is what you're called to do. But there is a little bit of silver lining. Just a little bit. Here it is. Are you ready for it? Don't be afraid. I will be with you. Oh, great, the Lord, you know, Jeremiah says. You know, that that's just wonderful. I'll be with you. And that ought to be enough. You know, sometimes living a life of faith means that God calls us to do things that other people might look at and think are odd. Why ever are you doing that, they might say. And your only answer would be, because I believe it would be pleasing to God. I think this is what the Lord has called me to do. Well, it doesn't make good sense. You know, it doesn't make uh, you know, good financial sense. Or it doesn't make good sense for uh, being around the people that you love. Or, or you know, it could... A, a lot of things that this doesn't make good sense about. Why are you taking that way? That's the hard road. That nobody, nobody takes the hard road. But a life of faith says this, that even if God calls us to take a hard road, that's the best road. And then we'll always be glad we did. An 18th century Anglican priest wrote this prayer. Lord, I am no longer my own but Thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Get this. Put me to suffering. Who prays that? Let me be employed for thee. Or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee. Or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. 
I freely, I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and thy disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant that which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. You know, that would be a terrifying prayer to pray, wouldn't it? Lord, I'm all yours. Give me whatever you want. Give me good or bad. Give me blessing. Give me difficulties. Throw at me whatever you want. I'm all yours. Well, not too many people travel that road. But those who do are always glad they did. Amen.